I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, episode 101, Dalmatians. Oh, come on, Jay. Don't I at least get a laugh? That's exactly the sort of joke you seem to like. That is, yes. I was, uh... Sorry, I was trying to maintain, hold it in. I didn't think you wanted the laugh on the uh, on air. You're on a separate track, Jay. I can always squish it or move it if I really need to. Fair enough. Uh, as I said, I am Chris Stevenson. That was Jay Earl. Also here today is Mike Cook. Hello. Hi. And this is Strange Assembly, your L5R and Beyond tabletop gaming podcast. Today we are going to be in the general board gaming category or card gaming. Actually, a lot of these are a lot more cards than they are boards. Actually, I don't know. There might only be two boards on the things we're talking about today. Let's see. So we're going to hit up a number of, of recent releases. We hope you're interested in it. The first one is Guildhall Job Fair. This is from uh, Hope S. Wong, published by Alderac Entertainment Group. It is a standalone expansion to last year's Guildhall, which they are now subtitling Guildhall Old World Economy. So if you've played Guildhall, you know the rules for Guildhall Job Fair. Basically, it is a set collection game. There are six different professions or or card types in the game, and there are five different colors of each of them. You get to play two cards a turn, and you are trying to assemble guild chapters of each profession and trying to get sets where you have all five colors of a particular profession. When you do that, it closes the guild, flips it over, and then later on you can cash it in for for victory points. I really liked the original guild hall. I think you guys liked it as well. Am I correct in that? Yes. I never played it. Oh, you didn't really? Nope. How did that happen? So I, I like Guildhall, and one of the reasons I liked Guildhall, I mean, it's it's a light game. I mean, there is definitely thinking involved in it, but you definitely don't want to get... If somebody's getting analysis paralysis, and then there's a problem. And so I like... I think Guildhall is a good light game with gamers, and it's also a game that you can play with people who aren't heavy gamers. I liked Job Fair, but I liked Job Fair less than the original game, and I, I like it less because the professions, there is a little bit more thinky. Basically, almost all of them are are in some way a a slightly more complex version of an original. Like in base Guildhall, you had a historian who lets you fetch a card out of the discard pile. In job fair, you have a hunter who lets you trade cards from your guild hall that's like your sort of in-place set collection area with the discard pile. So you're adding in this extra element of this extra thought in there that now that it's a trade instead of just a snatch. You used to have the trader, which lets you trade one of your cards in play with somebody else's card in play. And that is kind of replaced by the peddler, which trades someone else's card in play with a card in your hand, which people seem to have a very difficult time getting their heads around within the, the late game concept. But that's if you play Job Fair all by itself. So, like, if you don't have Guildhall yet, I think Guildhall is totally worth getting, but I would get the original Guildhall, not Job Fair. If you have Guildhall, Job Fair gives you extra options. You can play with just Job Fair. 
You can mix and match the professions and just have a six of your choice. You can potentially just smush them all together and play with all 12 professions, although that makes the game rather stretch out and drag because it makes it very hard to actually assemble sets. I think the game then, you start to get a lot bigger percentage of your points from farmers and tax collectors, which are the guys that let you just play them and say, I gain a victory point or I gain three victory points or, or whatever. So that's Guildhall Job Fair from Alderac Entertainment Group. And then uh, Jay, evil jerk, has got to play Viticulture <laughs> lately, and I have not yet. So, Jay, tell us about Viticulture. Okay. Viticulture is by Stonemeyer Games, designer Jamie Stigmeyer and Alan Stone. It was a Kickstarter, I think, earlier this year. I have the retail copy, so... Reading reviews online, people talk about the expansion and how awesome it is, and I agree it sounds awesome, but I don't actually have that. I've just got the the base retail game to play with. But even that's a really good game. It's a worker placement game where the conceit is that you're working a Tuscany-era vineyard, and so you, you place your workers to do things like plant your grapes or harvest your grapes or crush the grapes into wine or I mean that general type of thing. It's got a, a large number of really interesting mechanics though on the general worker placement thing. For instance, for determining turn order, so there's one marker that's going around the table to determine the order of choosing at, th- at the start of each turn. But there you're choosing which order you will take everything else in the rest of the turn. And so if you go, oh, like, I absolutely have to be first, you don't get anything. Whereas if you go later on in the order, you're getting progressively better benefits. Like, if you go almost assuredly last, you can get a victory point. Or you go if you go definitely last, you get an extra worker to place that turn. It's also, it's got two different times of worker placement it's got the summer and it's got the winter and there are different actions available in each of those but once you place a worker you don't get him back so you have to you constantly have to track what am i going to be doing in the winter do i need to be saving my my workers for the winter rather than just play them all right now to get actions out it's also it's it's for two to six players and so the spaces that are available to be played on for each action that's available, the number of those is based on the players. Generally speaking, it's half round down. So for two players, there's one of each spot available. For four players, there's two of each spot. What's also interesting is for the... If you have more than two players, if you have more than two of each spot available one of those spots gives an extra bonus for going to it. For instance, if you go to the plant grapes area, the special one lets you plant a second grape rather than just one. Basically, through the course of the game, you'll be planting and harvesting and crushing and thus making wine. And then there are other ways to get victory points, but a large point, part of the way to get victory points is to ship your wines off, fill wine orders that are one of the types of cards that are available in the game, fulfilling them, 
gets you the largest amount of points. But they've done a very good job of making it so that's not the only available strategy. So if you if you end up low on the turn order and therefore aren't able to go with the immediately plant and harvest and crush and ship, there are other ways to go about it. So I've, I've been playing it a bunch with several of my friends, and we've all really enjoyed it, seeing that very first game where everybody is pretty much just trying to do that obvious strategy of plant, crush, ship, and therefore everyone is blocking for each other, slowly evolve as people are like, oh, that's where all the contention is, so I'm going to try to give vineyard tours, which can give you points, that slower points that way, or other things, other ways of winning. I had one game a few weeks ago where multiple players at the end of the game ended up with the maximum victory points you had, so we had to go to tiebreakers to determine who won. So, generally speaking, I mean, it's probably my favorite worker placement game at the moment. They've got a lot of innovative mechanics. Unlike a lot of worker placements that you'll see, like Agricola, where you have some amount of penalty for having work too many workers, this this doesn't really have any penalty mechanic built into it, which is always nice, because one of the guys in my group, we tease him mercilessly because multiple occasions of Agricola, he's ended up with negative points. It does seem to be a divisive sort of mechanic. The uh, It's usually feed your workers, or at least right. Right, that's what it is in Lahav and, and Agricola. Right, this this has no, no feeding. Uh, yeah, or, or just generally any sort of mechanic where you need to do something not because it benefits you, but because if you don't do it, you are going to get hammered by the game. Right, and this this game does not use the stick; it uses only carrots, and it 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 does an excellent job of it. So, that's my take on viticulture. All right, my next one shall be the Thunderstone starter set, another standalone expansion follow-up from Alderac Entertainment Group. Uh, it's still got Mike Elliott's name uh, on the front, but I don't think that he has had anything directly to do with Thunderstone since uh, it came off for a while, since he's off you know, doing Ascension and having his own company and all that. The Thunderstone Starter Set is designed as a uh, streamlined, cheaper entry point into the game. It's got enough to play, but not to have a lot of variety. A normal... Uh, it, it's probably got about maybe half as much in it, I guess. I think about half as much in it, I think, as uh, as the normal Thunderstone Advance core game, uh, Towers of Ruin. It doesn't have familiars, which really is not a loss. It doesn't have the board, which is a shame. It doesn't have the XP tokens, which I'll, I'll tell you, you really miss. So it's got just enough heroes and monsters and, and village cards to get that. It, it tends to have more straightforward effects on that. I know this is an intro game, but I feel like we've talked about Thunderstone so much that I'm not going to do the whole what is Thunderstone and how does it work. You could listen to an old Thunderstone podcast or uh, if you go on uh, strangeassembly.com and look at the written review of the Thunderstone starter set, it'll it'll explain uh, the basics of that. So I think if you're looking at Thunderstone and you know that it's something that you're interested in, you should buy Towers of Ruin because if you buy the starter set... And then you decide that, oh yeah, I really do like this Thunderstone thing. You're immediately going to want to go out and buy Towers of Ruin. 
which kind of eliminates the point of having the lower price point. If you just don't know, or if you're going to like Thunderstone, or if you want to buy, or if you think, like, well, I'm, I'm interested in Thunderstone, but I, it's not something I need to be able to play over and over and over again with a different array of cards, then the starter set should get that itch scratched. It, it makes sure to cover all of the basic kinds of cards like there are five heroes and one of them is a wizard and one of them is a cleric and one of them is a ranger and one of them is a thief and one of them is a fighter there's a spread of weapons that make sure that there's you know a a less good weapon that everybody can use and then there's a really good weapon that only the the beefy fighter the higher level rangers is strong enough to carry there's a cheap light producing item there's a a villager that lets you shred regulars out of your deck there's a there's no high-level capstone spell, but there's a pretty nasty uh, six-gold spell that uh, it's like two light and two attack for six, which is which is pretty good. Kind of reminds me of what was it, Summon Swarm or something? The one where that had Village put this back on top of your deck. It's a solid plus two attack, six-gold spell that just hits in stores. So uh, if you at this point, have somehow never managed to try out Thunderstone. I, I still like Thunderstone, so you could you can check out the starter set. But if you know that it's something that you want to sink some, ca- you know you want to sink some cash into. I think that the the Towers of Ruin core set is a more efficient use of your your money. Another one that that just came out is, and I mean, what like this thing came out a week ago, Boss Monster. Yep. Is that right? Uh, yep. And that is uh, that is from Brotherwise Games and uh, Johnny o- Johnny O'Neill as the designer, and you're the one of us who bought that mic. So why don't you uh, enlighten everyone? So Boss Monster is it's a card game. It's a set card game that has 16 or no, actually, I guess it's really 8-bit graphics for the graphics. And the idea is that you are a boss monster. And you build a dungeon, and then every turn heroes flip out, and you want to lure the heroes into your dungeon, because each player is making their own dungeon. And you want to lure the heroes to your dungeon, they have a certain amount of health, and your dungeon um, does a certain amount of damage as they go through the dungeon. So you want to be able to pull the heroes in and then kill them, and then when you do that, you get their soul. And if you get ten souls, you win. However, if they make it through, they actually do a wound to you. If you get three wounds, you lose. You go through a regular stack of heroes, and then you get to a stack of advanced heroes that are worth more souls, but also do more damage if they actually get through. And that, that's basically the game. Every turn, you get uh, you flip out a number of people equal to the number of players. Uh, you draw a room card. Uh, everybody plays a room card. And then you figure out which heroes go where based on the loot that's in your rooms. Each one is designed for specific different types of heroes, and then in turn order you resolve them going through, and then you figure out if anybody's won, and then you just start over until somebody wins or until everybody else loses, and and until there's only one player left. There are spell cards as well, which are kind of one-shot effects that you can use at certain points. They don't refill naturally. You have to have rooms that will give you more cards. Um, and, and once per game, you actually have a level up. All of the different boss monsters have a level up ability that when you build the max size dungeon, which is five cards, uh, you get like a one-shot ability that helps you about halfway through the game. 
Yeah, now I, I think that the best thing about Boss Monster was was the flavor and the thematics. Uh, it, it's not, I guess it's not unique anymore at this point of doing this, but you've got the whole 8-bit graphics thing is cute. There's a lot of throwbacks and references, uh, obviously, to old games from that era. Like one of the boss monsters is like a Metroid, and there's another boss monster yep. who's, you know, Father Bowser, and, and, and that sort of thing. And the box itself uh, that the comes in actually looks like uh, like an old Nintendo game box. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, the one that I immediately think of is, is Zelda. It's kind of got the shield on yep. the... But uh, it's got that. There's also a number of pop culture references in the heroes. I think each of... I mean, if you're not looking at the cards, like there's, you could ignore the art. You could ignore the name of the hero. You could look at the flavor. All that matters is that they are a fighter, thief, cleric, or mage, and then what their health is. I mean, right? That's yep. that's the only thing that mechanically matters on the hero. But if you look into it, you've got other little descriptor things. Like there was, I, I'm like there was one hero that was Jon Snow. Uh, yep. <laughs> well, and the other ones I'm sure are, are backers because this was kickstarted. So I'm sure some of that was probably in there as well. Yeah, yeah, and I know, like, if you look on Board Game Geek, there's five different sets, and at least three of them were for, at least, no, at least four of them were for, uh, Kickstarter things. So I don't know if those were just, or were only available to Kickstarter backers, or. On the, the downside, Boss Monster seems like it was at its, it's at its best as a theme and a concept, and looking at the cards, and. I did not find the the gameplay itself as as scintillating. I know Jay and I both managed to annoy each other at various points in time with seemingly broken cards that we happened to luck into. I don't think it's a super skill game or anything like that. Obviously, you start with you get seven cards in the beginning. You have to discard two. You get five rooms and two spells, and then you have to discard two of those cards after seeing what monster you have. And the monster only barely has any. It tells you who goes first. It tells you what level up ability you have, and it gives you one of the four treasures as your basic type. Uh, but other than that, I mean, a lot. A lot of it is random. What heroes pop up is random. What rooms you get is random. There's a little bit of choice, but there's not a ton of choice. The place I feel like it occupies is the same place as uh, almost like a ticket to ride. You could teach that game to just about anybody, although the theme is probably going to be a little bit more heavier gamer that it's going to edge towards. Oh, yeah. But just like Ticket to Ride, there are enough decisions that are like, okay, this is enough to keep me interested, and anybody can play that game. I feel like that would be a good game for like uh, tabletop on uh, YouTube. Because it's got high skill and a decent amount of... Well, sorry, it's got high luck and a decent amount of skill. Uh, how about you, Jay? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it did feel a little... Yeah, a little more luck than skill-based for my personal taste. That said, uh, I, I know you disagreed with me, but at some level it felt comparable to Munchkin in that it's a random fantasy-themed card game and i significantly prefer it to munchkin in that i felt like i was able to do something despite the luck factor. the game actually ended well, there's that too well yeah well that, that's the other really good thing actually is it is a very short game it, it doesn't overstay its welcome so it does kind of lend itself to like okay well let's play that again real quick and you've not burned more than like half an hour 
Oh yeah, if that. I mean that that seems yeah. like you'd most often be knocking that thing out in fifteen, twenty minutes. Yeah, so I mean to me, if you're gonna be light, that light is fun, just try and be fast as well. Oh oh yeah, no, you have it if you if you have a total Luxac game that takes two hours, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh that was Boss Monster. Next up is Trains, which is also from Alderac Entertainment Group, and I think is not out yet. And I have not gotten a copy from AEG, uh, but I did manage to to play it with with somebody else. Trains, I it's probably part of AEG's big in Japan line thing because I know it's it's another game from uh, that they they brought over from Japan. Like Love Letter was their first one, which was a I think Love Letter was an enormous success last year because it was amazing. But no, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great game, and uh, I think that that AEG is definitely doing the hey, let's look at this. We, everybody's been importing European games for the last decade or fifteen years or you know whenever it was. It's, uh, they, it's uh, almost twenty now, seventeen, eighteen, if you count from Settlers of Catan. Although I think it's really much more kicked off in the last ten years. But you know, AEG is saying hey, there's this big Japanese game market that people just are not dealing with and i know i think todd has spent a lot of time over in japan scouting out good games from there so i think love letter is going to presage a a good chunk of games like that being imported from japan and and as well as obviously uh it is kicking off a a wave of micro games you know these you know ten dollar little small card games so I think that that will be a, an interesting spread. But but Trains is designed by uh, Hisashi Hayashi outside of Japan. It's going to be published by AEG. And it is a, let's see, yeah, it's just called Trains. It is a deck-building train game. So the before you add the train part on, it, there's some commonalities with, with Dominion. You know, you have... Your basic money is the same kind of thing. You start with effectively coppers in your hand, and then you have silvers and golds, and but it's just you know tokens or coins or something. But uh, what you're doing with that, in in addition, is you've got a map, and that's it's. I mean, it's hexes, and what you're doing with the map is that you are building your train route, and so you've got on the map you've got cities and you've got a couple other terrain types and different ones cost you more to build so your money doesn't just buy cards your money also lets you buy to more expensive train destinations and in order to lay track you have to have lay track cards and then and so you've got a couple of different kinds of economy going on in your deck you need money to do everything but you also need some stuff that lays track in order to actually put down track and and that's your primary victory point source. You can buy cards into your deck that are worth victory points, but it's much less efficient than just laying track. So that seemed more like a an end game kind of thing. And you also want to be able to build stations and so there's a specific, you know, there there's a specific generic card that you have to buy to lay track and there's a specific generic card you have to buy to build stations and so you get victory points for 
connecting to cities and then putting stations on the cities is your primary victory point method. You can partially block other players because it's more expensive to lay track into somewhere that someone else has already laid track, but you also have to watch out for other people coming in and mooching off of your victory points because if they are willing to plow through your and build along with your track, they can get into you know, a city that you've put a lot of stations in, and so it's worth a lot of victory points. And at that point, it doesn't matter who built the station. So you have to decide where it is that you're actually willing to put up stations, how quickly do you want to put up stations. You don't want to wait too long and have the game end before you've gotten the chance to, to put those up, but you don't want to just build a bunch of them everywhere and have everybody mooch off your points. The other mechanic that is not something that I've seen in a deck building game is a very distinctive use of of the, I guess we'll call it the, the this version of curses because that's what we always call the negative cards you put in your deck. They're called waste but they don't really work at all like curses do. You just always get them for doing things. It's I mean it's basically an environmental thing. Every time you lay track you put a waste card in your deck. Every time you buy a victory point card, you get waste cards in your deck. Every time you build a station, you get waste cards in your deck. And so you are constantly adding waste cards to your deck, and the waste cards do nothing. So then that is also something that you have to at some point address, is how to get stu- how to, to a- acquire stuff in your deck that is going to delete those waste cards out. I mean, you can do something like the rest action in Thunderstone where you can take your entire turn to destroy all of the waste that are in your hand. So, I mean, I guess if you never buy anything, you can always use that, but then you're giving up whole turns to be able to get rid of waste. So, I only got to play it once. I can't really say how how good it is in the long run, and I only saw one spread of cards. I didn't get to look through the whole box. But it was definitely a, a different take. I I'm certainly have been a proponent of combining deck building with other mechanics. I kind of wish that their money was not didn't feel exactly like coppers and silvers and golds because, like when you fr- I first sat down and look at the spread and my mind is just literally going, oh, it's just coppers and silvers and golds, and the gameplay really does go differently from Dominion. It doesn't have any of these restrictions like you only get one action or you only get one buy, and it's got a whole map, and it's got all these other things that are going on, but I guess I'd caution people, like, you may sit down and look at the initial spread and go, oh, Dominion clone, and it's really not, but just kind of try to move past that, I would I would suggest, which is, I, I, wish, they'd, I wish the money had been a little bit different, so I didn't have to push through that, I don't know. So I definitely want to play it again. Like I said, I only got to play it once, and I didn't get to root through everything, so it's still kind of uh, indeterminate. But I figured since, hey, it hasn't come out, you know, people might want to hear about that. Yep. All right. So I do think we have gone on long enough for this episode. We've got another slate of games that have been played, and we'll push those off to another one. But for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, this has been Strange Assembly. We're always happy excited even to hear feedback from our listeners so you can contact me at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can come and leave a comment about this episode or anything else on our website 
We're also on the usual social media thing, so you can like us on Facebook and uh, say hi to us over there, or follow us on Twitter if you want to get updates every time we put something new on the website. Both of those are just Strange Assembly, you know, at Strange Assembly on, on Twitter, obviously. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed it, and we look forward to hearing from you. And until then, never stop gaming.